Joining me today on this week's Initial, I'm joined by Scott McMahon, the creator and founder of thefilmtrooper.com, and we're going to be talking about marketing your films and the business behind filmmaking. I was in kind of like one foot in the traditional film world and the other foot into like video production, watching the evolution of the video technology take over and start to merge. And so I went to film school and from that, just working a ton of odd jobs, you know, working in a video store, working like uh, different clients, uh, doing video production stuff. And then eventually just making like short films, really, really bad short films. Uh, like uh, like I, I would shoot on maybe film and then I'd telecine to video and edit everything in video. Um, and this was like two decks, like, you know, two um, uh, v, uh, SVHS decks going back and forth. I, I Essentially what happened was I made a short film with the concept early on. I was really interested in how the business worked and the marketing worked when I was working at this mom and pop shop as a, as a video store clerk. And I would collect like all the pamphlets that would come in to see how they marketed it and like how, how they were pricing things. And I got I made a really kind of really like an awful short film, but it was charming enough that the owners allowed me to rent it at the <laughs> store. So then I became like this little local celebrity of just like people come in like, oh, why, you made this? It's cool. It's, yeah, it's a, I would say it's a free rental or 50 cents or whatever it was. <laughs> and then uh, and then uh, and then you get like, the, you know, the true uh, response because you'll get these like college kids who come in and they're like, man, that thing was terrible. And I was like, OK, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I got the bug there and then I, I developed one pilot episode with this concept of making sort of like a, an ongoing children's series uh, that would be direct video because I saw that it was a possibility. Yeah. But I ran out all money. I had I had like this one episode, you know, shot. And then that was enough that it just happened to be the right place, right time. There was an opportunity to uh, interview for a job position at Sony PlayStation when there was this is before PlayStation was PlayStation. Nobody even knew what PlayStation was. It hadn't right. even launched. It wasn't even launched yet. They just need somebody to work the video production stuff for the marketing team. And that's what I did. But then I at night I was working on these short films to get I had access to all this amazing equipment. You know, that was the exciting part. Like, wait a minute. Oh my gosh, I could do all this stuff. And I polished up my uh, pilot and, and whatnot. But then some of the game producers saw what I was doing and they gave me uh, like basically no budget. They said, hey, we need some game, like movies for some of our games. And I'm like, OK, um, I'll give it a crack. So uh, during the day, I was working my day job as the mark, uh, support for marketing. But at night, I was making these short films that were going to be 15 frames per second because this was the original CD-ROM uh, platform for the PlayStation 1. But I, you know, hearken back to like all my experience in like visual effects and like uh, sleight of hand trickery and with like no budget made like these uh, um, these series of movies for this tank game, like this futuristic, you know, tank game, like we're a combat battle. And that took off. All of a sudden, now I, I was doing two jobs, and they realized I couldn't do two jobs, so we were able to hire somebody to do take over my day job of the supporting marketing. And then I became like the full blown person doing the cinematic sequences at the at the company, and that went from one person, and eventually over years it grew to like several hundred people. And then we had um, we were working with teams, visual effects teams, and all over the world: Singapore, England, uh, Korea you know, New York, Los Angeles, you know, Texas or whatever it was. So it just got, it got really, really big. But in the video game world, the, these pre-rendered sequences, um, even though we made them for the, the games, mm. um, uh, th we also did a lot of work with the marketing department and so on. Um, in that world, it's considered fluff because 
this is like when the PlayStation, if you've ever played a game, you're watching it like, okay, cool cinematic sequence. And then next time it comes around, you just push, push the X button. Sure. (laughs) Cause you're, you're just skipping through it. You're like, the whole point is that you're trying to get to the gameplay. And so we had sort of auspicious, like launch of PlayStation three and like a lot of cutbacks. And we were one of the bigger departments to be cut back right away. Um, and that sort of set me on a different path of, uh, going to try to get this independent comedy produced in Hollywood using all my contacts. And that's where I got a really good life lesson about how the independent film world worked. And that start changing my perspective. I remember attending the American film market and there was a symposium and there's this filmmaker who didn't really make like a, like a, a groundbreaking film. But what he did was he used internet marketing skills and strategies to sell his DVDs directly online. Like this is a, like really early in the internet or like days in terms of this concept. And he made a couple hundred thousand, I don't know, like a hundred thousand dollars or something like that. And that was not impressive to a lot of people there because people's concepts of the film business at the time was like, I got to make millions or, or nothing. But I was really, really engaged. I thought that is something to be said. So I really del- delved into this guy's stuff and got me thinking in a different path. And so ever since then, I've always been like one foot into like content creation. Also, this 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 uh, this interest in marketing and sales or essentially kind of like how the how wealth works, you know, how the world yeah. works in terms of business. And, you know, this is the admin, um, sorry, admin the, 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 during the time when the, uh, we had the economic uh, implosion in 2008, 2007, 2008. And so that, that got me thinking, rethinking a lot of things. Uh, and then we moved to Portland, Oregon, because um, my wife's always had a, a love affair for the Pacific Northwest, and she got this really great job offer. And I was in a position where I could work remotely, mm-hmm. and and it gave me an opportunity to sort of launch Film Trooper. And so here I'm in Portland, Oregon, thinking like this concept of like you can work anywhere and still produce content and then still have an audience anywhere because of the Internet. And when I showed up at um, Portland, like I was kind of starting over. So I didn't know in terms of um, what production companies were in town. So it was just more or less just like a personal thing I wanted to try was um, I, I had done some acting when I was younger. When I was in Portland, I was like, you know what? I haven't done this in a long time. I'm older now. I have a, you know, um, I, I would play like the dad roles or the husband roles. <laughs> so I just off an old headshot resume and I landed myself with an agent up in Portland just for my own self-curiosity and, and also thinking that if I got a few auditions in town, I would know which production companies are, are working and see if I couldn't you know, angle in that way. I didn't expect to get as much work as I did and I started to work on a regular basis up here in Portland, Oregon as an actor. Um, you know, Nobody can really do a full-time um, living up here unless you supplement it with like uh, modeling jobs and I'm not quite like the model model look, um, but everybody that that I know that does a full time uh, gig up here as an actor really supplements majority of their income in the modeling side of things. Uh, That was one avenue. But so I it led me some time to create Film Trooper and Film Trooper uh, was created in in response to sort of exploring the ideas of my my passion and my curiosity about marketing, sales and distribution 
for what I call the uber independent filmmaker. So what I've discovered, we all know there's like six major studios that run Hollywood and then they have all these subsidiaries after that. And then there's another world, which is like my friend calls indie Hollywood, which is all the film markets. So the Cannes film market, the American film market, Singapore, I think Berlin, mm-hmm. the European film market. So these same buyers and sellers of film that are not necessarily part of the Hollywood system, these studios, the big studio system, they bounce between one market to another market buying and selling film. And, uh, and, and then I think there's an advent, a new emergence of a different class of filmmaker, which is like the Uber independent, which may not any one of us with the tools today can make our film and put it up online and we have worldwide distribution, but it's that caveat of like, well, how can I get more people to see my work and how do I make money and how do I make a sustainable living from this? And I think those are the business models that I was interested in, in exploring and uncovering um, through the platform of Film Trooper. And like you mentioned, uh, we mentioned earlier, I think um, before the interview started, was I had made a feature film for $500 without a crew. And that wasn't intended. It was sort of just kind of happened because I was still fairly new to Portland. Um, but it, I was able to pull it off, meaning that it's a complete story. It's like 80 minutes long. It has a beginning, middle, end. It's not like, you know, phenomenal. Uh, yeah. my acting and my acting is questionable at times in that <laughs> film. I had this vision that the, the film would be a lot more motion in the camera. But once I realized that my lead actress only had a set amount of time to make the film, I had to just learn how to design the film with uh, still shots, you know, just keep things basic. You know, you get your master, yeah. medium close up, close up and over shoulder type stuff and a lot of cutaways. So we finished the film and, you know, I knew I wanted to keep the cost down because I was really my exploration into this world of like how much do films really make when they're selling directly on like video on demand platforms um, was not a lot. It was actually shockingly low. And for those who are you know waiting you know, to hear me what the numbers are. The reality is if you have a film that doesn't have any notable stars or doesn't have any like official sort of backing from a distribution company and you're just making a film, putting up it on Vimeo, putting up on iTunes, on Amazon, um, you may end up making like five to $10,000. That's it. That's all you would make. And that's a really low when you're thinking that a lot of these films are probably made for 50000 25000 $100,000. And I was like, wow, okay. So that's a bummer. <laughs> so I go, well, let me let me see let me see about this stuff. So that's why I kept the the cost of making my film so low, like five hundred. I was like, I just gotta make my money back. Because anytime like a filmmaker says, I made a profit on my film, that would be considered, oh, you were a successful filmmaker. The re- only reason I made a profit on my film is I kept my 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 production costs so low. Yeah. So that's what and then Film Trooper then allowed me to explore. I was just sharing things like, well, I'm trying this right now to sell it online and I'm applying what the online experts, I mean, the online marketing and dis, um, sales experts of different companies, different industries. I'm just taking what they're teach, uh, teaching and then trying to apply it to our world. And then Film Trooper allows me to share that. And in that process too, I wrote a book called How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion while doing it. It was just a playoff of this uh, quote that Spielberg said a couple of years ago that there's going to be a, a Hollywood implosion. Yeah. And so that book was interesting because that um, forced me to do massive amount of research and curating and, and connecting the dots. And the whole goal was just to try to write a book and sell it on Amazon and then share that experience back to the Film Trooper audience. 
Well, it kind of worked because the, the as a self-published book, it made way more money than my uh, film did. And I learned a lot about how the, the marketing works with, uh, you know, digital content of any kind, mm-hmm. be it a book, music, movies, anything. And that sort of changed my perspective on things. Yeah, the, the marketing world or the internet marketing world is a very murky world. When you mentioned about the Hollywood movies and, you know, them making money, have you heard of the uh, British film critic Mark Kerr? mode i don't think i have maybe i've seen some of his stuff but he's got a book out called the big the bad and the box office and it's a really phenomenal book and he's got this formula to make a guaranteed blockbuster and um he's like and there's like these rules and the first rule is the budget of the film has to be newsworthy it has to be like hitting headlines and then it's like second thing you need is you need to have lots of visual stuff major like special effects on the screen that needs to be the and then the third thing you need is you got to have an a-lister and he said the reason why john carter of mars didn't work it was because it wasn't tom cruise of mars if it had been Mm -hmm. tom cruise of mars then that film would have been a success and then he said then the fourth thing is it can't be a comedy and then you're in his book looking through it and he's got all these examples of films that have flopped and then films that have you know done well and they all Mm -hmm. have this specific formula can you remember a certain film that you watched that got you into film? Yeah, yeah it's interesting. I mean, I, I'm probably I'm nothing special other than, you know, a kid in Southern California suburbia that grew up on, you know, I mean, obviously Star Wars and Jaws. Jaws was a big thing when I was a kid. I mean, I just remember movies having impact because there was a residual after it. Uh, the residual was like drawing pictures or <laughs> my brothers and I would reenacting like Raiders of the Lost Ark scenes. And, you know, Star Wars was just, you know, part of our 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 life and our culture of like just kids just like, you know, waiting for the next one or, and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, the Stranger Things, it just uh, that, uh, that Netflix show, it just it just rings bells because, oh. you know, E.T. was part of that, too. But just like that just rings bells of like, yeah, that's kind of the the feeling what it felt like growing up in the 80s as a kid that's that world you know um uh, they've done it so well in terms of the young kids and the teenagers and and all that kind of stuff but when i really realized there was a film like a movie that wasn't that spectacle that wasn't the star Wars, wasn't the big blockbusters was i don't know how it ended up but i just we went to see amadeus and that won the Oscar for like 1980-something. But when I I was really just like moved by Amadeus because I was like, wait a minute. This is this is like not – doesn't have special effects and robots and monsters. You know, it's like <laughs> this is just a really – I mean I was engaged. And another film, believe it or not, was uh, Somewhere in Time because uh, I only watched it because Christopher Reeves was Superman. Sure. And, and so I was watching that and I was – that – film in itself like like stuck with me for a long time but you know i didn't really think about any of that kind of stuff until i got into college when i made the the, the conscious decision like i i think i want to be like a filmmaker or study film then you start you know then film school introduce introduce you introduces you to a bunch of things you never even thought of and that just starts uh, opening your your mind from that but i as a kid i think it was amadeus and somewhere in time I have friends. I have a friend that always calls BS on me because it's like he knows me forever. <laughs> he 
whatever. And he's just like, he just knows that I love all the big spectacle films, like everything that comes out the pop culture stuff. So to see that I had any sort of inkling to some other sort of something else other than that, he just laughs, but you know, you know, there you go. (laughs) I think we need to put on record as well that Christopher Reeve is the only Superman that we need. Oh yeah. 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 It was, it's still, I go back to that film all the time and um, we showed my daughter that uh, when she was young and she just resonated like mm. really, really well with it. Oh, I'm glad you showed uh, your daughter the original Superman. It's one of my uh, one of my favorite films. It's it's a masterpiece. Yeah. I showed it to my god uh, my godson a few weeks ago, and I thought, is he going to have the attention span for this? Because the first like hour is a long hour. Yeah, um, yeah. But he was mesmerized by it, and even the effects. You know, he didn't see that it wasn't real, which. I think is a testament to the um, the filmmaking, but I'm not a fan of the modern superhero films now. They're just, uh, they feel like PlayStation games, most of them. The last one I enjoyed was uh, Wonder Woman, which I thought was good yeah. apart from the last 15 minutes when it just did fall into that huge CGI battle that could be from any of those superhero or Marvel films. I think the last time i've enjoyed a natural superhero movie for throughout the whole thing was uh, christopher nolan's dark knight trilogy if you were starting from scratch now if you were making a film what would be like the first thing you would do like do you think it's important to start building an audience before you start making the film or you'll hear like from one side of things like you need to build an audience first before you make your film Hmm. um but I have, like I said, I have one foot in the world of like the creative and then one foot in the world of like, you know, a business minded person, I guess, you know? Yeah. And, and sometimes they're at odds and sometimes they're unfulfilling. What I do know is that whatever any of us are pursuing, we, you're trying to align it up where it's coming from a true place of joy and, and interest um, because that sustains the long run. Um, I've tried many times to try to create projects based off, you know, almost like overanalyzing a market analysis or I went to the, <laughs> I went to the film markets and go, oh, okay, there, nobody's buying these types of films. Maybe, maybe I should make a film like this. And then I find myself in a, a creative struggle because I don't feel like I'm 100% there. It feels like I'm already sold out. Like I, I haven't been pure enough with with that, um, the effort. So like the, the product is not as great as it could be. Mm. Um, and, and I stopped a lot of uh, scripts from finishing just because I realized I was at that place. So what I, and then, and I hear all these experts too. It's like, you, yeah, you got to build your audience first to go. Yeah. But sometimes you might build your audience and then the, 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 the art that you're creating might change. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, so it might not even serve the same audience that you were building up all these years. And so you're like, Oh my gosh. So I look at it as uh, sort of letting go and just just be just create something you want to create. And and what happens then is when you're finished. So if say you have something that's like um, if you could put some limitations on yourself, like saying, well, I do want to make something, but it's got to be limited to like a few characters and, and eventually maybe some locations I have access to. Maybe I'll, I'll try that exercise to see if I can't make something with that that parameters but then some other people like man i just want to write like the big epic you know the next you know game of thrones or whatever it might be um what i'm learning is that the the creative process is the creative process whether or not be writing uh creating music um the performing of it but the film part of it obviously is is combining all that stuff and it's a it's a, a courageous task to take on 
Um, I'm currently, what happened was I had made the, the film, the cube out of just because I just needed to see if I can make something so inexpensive it's just to see if I can do it. Sure. And I did it. And, but I, I looked at, it, I go, oh my God, it's not really that it's okay. Film. Like I said, it, it, it has like, you can sit and watch it a beginning as a beginning, middle, and there's some mystery to it. And then, um, and, and then that's it. But it's not like it didn't set the world on fire. It wasn't like if I submitted to film festivals, it wasn't going to like, you know, mm. take over the world. So I was just thinking, I can do better. Well, how can I do better? So by creating an audience and Film Trooper, you know, the difference is the Film Trooper audience, as will be the Cinechill audience, is other filmmakers wanting to know about the process. They're not necessarily there to listen to uh, your, you know, film about whatever topic it is, um, yeah. because they're, they're much more interested in finding people to be interested in, in the film they're making. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, knowing that I didn't really harness an audience, um, that's, uh, for, for this next film, which was supposed to be, uh, it was just like a supernatural thriller. That was it. Just because we were talking, you got, you mentioned that guy's book about, uh, predicting blockbusters. Yeah. When you go to, when you go to any film market around the world, you'll notice what's selling and not selling. And it's the same cliches of action films sell internationally because it's action, it's visual, it's visceral, mm -hmm. and people can understand good guy, bad guy, and really cool action <laughs> scenes. Um, then you've got the horror films or anything that's a thriller because the that's very carnal. That's still um, universally understood. Something scares you, you know, yeah. and that's it. That's why you don't need stars. And why comedies don't do well is because they're very topical to the different um, um, countries. Like, you know, American countries may not really find anything really funny about like a, a South American comedy. Just as like South American countries may not find anything really funny about very topical um uh, american comedies yeah and 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 then dramas are like oh my gosh you know you know shoot my eye out with that but <laughs> but but if they have like a a known star or yeah. somebody that people visually see like then that is what carries over to some you know international appeal and success so I was like, okay, well, I'll just make a horror film, even though that everybody's made a horror film. I was just like, I'm just going to make mine. And so I, what I loved about the Film Trooper platform was not only as a podcast a website and I wrote a book, but um, I, I realized that I can just perform my script to my audience. So I did an episode where I said, well, what happens if your script sucks? And so I'm going to basically find out, I'm going to test out does my new script before I even make this film, yeah. is it like... Like worth even making. So I actually performed, read it out loud, and performed it, and added sound effects and music, and try to make it really entertaining as an audio listen. And then I wanted to get feedback from uh, friends of mine, their you know colleagues I, I re uh, respected, and just start getting feedback as much as possible because the idea here was that. Okay, you know, we we watch movies all the time and we can see something like that was kind of cool, but I wish they would have changed this, that, that. Yeah. I was trying to get to that point before I even made the film because it was so low cost of just writing it by myself yeah. and then performing it and then having an audience to share it with and get feedback. A lot of people like some of the things, but it just collectively you realize it didn't work. So I'm like, okay. So now I'm at this crossroad of going, maybe I'm not that great of a storyteller filmmaker too. <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> so I'm like, well, um, but I got some feedback from it. And then I went um, down the road of um, retooling the story 
And now I'm, I'm like halfway through writing it as a book because I had a lot of success writing my, um, my, my, my first book and seeing how the marketing goes for that. Now imagine if I wrote like a, a, nar- a fictional narrative mm-hmm. and, um, and then did the, did the marketing and got that sold first in terms of just self-publishing. Yeah. If I did well enough, like uh, if I can get it placed well enough at Amazon, like for one week, like say it was yeah, one of the top selling books or eBooks on uh, for one week. Then when I make the movie, I could say, you know, based on the top selling, yeah. best selling book. So that was one way to test it out. It also allows you to sort of build an audience that way um, in a topic that you might be interested in. But, you know, I'm um, so to answer your question, if I was starting out new, that's one way to approach it, which is there's other vehicles, other mediums that you could test out your creative idea. So if it's a feature film, maybe write a book or just write a script and figure out a way to perform it and then share that, you know, yeah, it's free, but, you know, people listening to it. But people are cool with like absorbing uh, content, the same content in different mediums. You know, it didn't hurt that, you know, the Lord of the Rings books were out for a long time prior <laughs> yeah. to the movie came out, you know. So um, it's one way to test it without with low co- cost, but it really tests your merit as like a storyteller. Yeah. Here's something I, I gave as a, a piece of advice on the latest podcast I did was if you really want to test yourself as a filmmaker, make a short film based on a famous short story that's in public domain. So you can go to public domain and there's like Sherlock Holmes stories. There's like Edgar Allan Poe stories, like short stories. Because the thing here is that this is these stories have stood the test of time. They're good stories. You can't blame the story. The story is going to be good. Yeah. You're how do you adapt it? How do you adapt it to a film like a, a film? So then if you are unable to effectively translate that to a film um, medium, then it should kind of reveals some of your shortcomings as a filmmaking storyteller because that you know that you have to work on that. Yeah. Because you can't blame the script. You can't blame the story. I mean, you could blame maybe the script adaptation of it. But, you know, that's one way to really test your metal and something to be like, okay, cool. I did a short film based on some Edgar Allan Poe poem or short story and people really resonated with it, which is cool because that will test your your skill set. Um, then like, uh, what's her name? Ava DuVernay, who's doing a wrinkle on time. Um, she just says, uh, she, she just says, look, man, it's the, the cost of making films is so cheap. Just go out and make a feature. You're like, don't even waste, just do it. Yeah. And so it really comes down to that. But like, it's funny. Oh gosh, I'm forgetting his name. We're talking about, he did monsters in rogue one. What's his uh, name? Gareth, boy. Uh, Gareth Gareth Edwards. Gareth, yeah. Gareth Edwards. He makes monsters. He just goes out and does it, you know, yeah. he makes a film. You hear all these films. I I worked with Orrin Pelly at Sony, and he was one of my first um, guests on the my podcast. Orrin Pelly made Paranormal Activity. Oh, he wow. made it. He's, he was a video game programmer at Sony that I worked you know worked with, and um, nobody knew that he was making this film. He did it all under the radar, and you know, and to, I, to listen to that episode I have with him, we go blow by blow the emotional roller coaster. And you're talking about luck. There's so many things that had to line up for that thing to be successful. And it's like, 
you can't, you know, like I said, a lot of us may, is, that same story is not going to happen. Yeah. So all you could do is start, just keep making content. And all I know is that whatever you make, something else, another door opens for it. You're, you, Cinechill, you started this podcast, this, 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 this website, this community on Facebook. I mean, that's just going to lead to some other things. I know that writing the, you know, making the movie led to the creation of Film Trooper. Film Trooper allowed me to write a book. Writing the book opened up this whole concept of like, wait, creatively, I can still get my fill in so many different avenues. It just doesn't always have to be film. So I guess my advice is like, if you're starting from scratch, if I was starting from scratch, um, building an audience is first just create what you want to create. And then if it's like an epic adventure, the film may not be the first medium it goes to. It may have to go to a book or some other sort of interpretation of that, that then connects with an audience that likes that kind of stuff. I'm in this process where I have to create something that that appeals to people that are interested in the supernatural or the science of supernatural and um, and then see what that audience feels like. And I have to start from scratch. Um, I might get to a place place where like, man, I really don't like talking to these type of people, you know, <laughs> you know, like you, you don't know, like and you might find yourself flip flopping. Yeah. Um, I might find, you know, I'm, I, you're always trying to you're always searching for. Uh, the marketers and stuff like that, they talk about the tribe or your, your oh, community. Yeah. You know, it, it's just, all it is is humans trying to find people that like the same kind of stuff they like. Yeah. And in, in, our, in the world of filmmaking, a lot of us just like filmmaking because we love the process of filmmaking. And maybe the film is not that important. Um, that at the end, it's the process is important. Then like how to is important. And so people build their platforms off that. Um, look at, uh, Ryan Connolly, Connolly from, from ride you had yeah. on it's Yes. It's an amazing example of someone who built a, uh, amazing audience and platform based off these fun videos, showing people how to make fun videos or, you know, special effects here and there. Uh, but in their, if you look their views for their videos of like how to do like a Harry Potter special effect and after and after effects or whatever it might have what a million views or something like that and then their short films might have like a few hundred thousand or maybe not even that maybe twenty five thousand meaning that this massive audience is interested in the how-tos but not the same interest goes to see the the art that they do yeah it's it's so whereas if um say you know we're talking about sci-fi films and stuff like that we go to an audience that just honors honors and shares um, you know low low budget sci fi um, type films. You know you might have uh, more of an impact there, and you might find that your people. I guess that's why like these interesting how the comic conventions have exploded over the years because every city seems to have one now. Yeah, it's, it you know it used to just be like this gathering of the of, of people that geek out on this stuff was small, then it just got bigger and bigger. Pop culture has overtaken us in so many different sub factors. I mean, there's even conventions for the kaju. Um, type monster films, the Godzilla films. Like there's like, <laughs> there's a sub subculture for that. And so you just got to find out what you're really into. And, and that, and that's probably the hardest thing. Even before you start a film is just like, what do you truly, truly love? Or what are you really interested in? What are you really curious about? What will drive you that doesn't matter if the film is not that great, maybe, but the effort to do so, um, maybe there's other avenues to be creative, to have that creative outlet, um, be a music, be, you know, writing books, be in performance art. Um, and then film is just another notch in that belt of expressing that. But if you're, if you're trying just to be a filmmaker, 
like I said, there's a lot of avenues to take. Would you say for people who like want to make their own films, do you think it's better for them to try and sell it independently than try and get it, you know, to film festivals and get a deal? Like what route would you recommend to a filmmaker who's can make films, they're talented, they can tell stories, they just can't get it out there? Because there's different approaches, isn't there now? And there's like, you can get on the film circuit or you can try and self-distribute and get money. It's a can of worms. <laughs> I'm going to do my best to sort of summarize like all this stuff to give like filmmakers perspectives. Like one of the fun stories that I tell on Film Trooper that opens eyes up for a lot of filmmakers is, you know, we talked about the Hollywood studio system. There's six studios that run the show, but you know, that's that world. We're not playing in that world. And then there's a lot of us that are that have the ability to play in the indie Hollywood world or the the international film market world. And they have their set of rules of, of how they operate. And this is how they work. So you say you and I work for a a distribution company that, you know, distributes films, independent mm-hmm. films. Um, we've been working, uh, we travel to every film market year round and we've developed relationships with other, um, film buyers and sellers from different territories. So, you know, say, you know, we're working in, in um, in, in England and, uh, and then we're selling like a, a monster film to Japan just because over the years we've developed this relationship with them and they, they, they ask us like, yeah, if you guys have any like huge monster films that destroy cities and things like that, we'll take it. Well, actually, we'll pay you like if you got something like that in your in in the works, we'll pay you two million bucks for it. And we're like, OK, cool. Um, so we shake on it, you know, and then we write like the some after that, some legal paperwork is signed up saying that if you deliver a film and we just maybe we we create a poster mm-hmm. and that's all we we don't even have a script. We don't have a movie. We just some a poster like you mean like a movie like this and there's some crazy monster that's you know destroying cities and they're like yeah if you got you deliver that movie to us by this time we'll give you two million bucks i'm like okay so we shake on it and we get like a promissory note like some sort of uh indication that there's good faith behind it but because our both of our companies have been in the business for a while we have like uh, relationships with uh with with banks banks that loan money to uh, vetted known distribution companies that do this on a regular basis. So they see that we are working with a, the Japanese company that is is backed and vetted and it's reputable. So they're like, okay, we'll give you a $2 million loan. So the concept here is everybody filmmaker wise, this is where this is the, the big aha moment because it's like, okay, so cool. You made a deal to make a monster film that's going to be sold directly to Japan uh, for 2 million bucks. Um, but the, what happens is these companies will take that $2 million, they will make the film for $500,000 and pocket one and a half million dollars. <laughs> so what happens is a filmmaker that maybe, um, is then hired. So a writer and director is hired by this distribution company, uh, to make this monster film. And they say, guess what? The budget's $500,000. Your fee for writing the monster film is going to be based off the $500,000 budget. Your directing fee is going to be based off the $500,000 budget. Uh, The producing fee and the actors and all the crew people that make this crazy monster film for $500,000. That's what they think they're – that's how they make their money. They're making their money because as a director or writer, you're only being hired for that project and you have a fee. And if it's – you work with the union, the union has to adjust their budget – uh, their fees to match the budget. 
So everybody kills themselves to make this low-budget monster movie. It gets delivered. The distribution company you know, delivers the finished film to Japan. Japan sees, hey, you delivered on your good, you know, your promise. <laughs> all, all we need to know is if the first five minutes look cool and the poster looks cool. We don't even care if it's that great of a film. So they give us two million bucks. We, you know, return, we pay off the loan and that's how we make a million and a half dollars. Now we're not really making, we're not, you know, out there making the film. We're contracting directors and writers and actors and all the crew people to kill themselves to make the film. What we're doing is we go on to the next film market and we make five other deals in the same way. So that's how we as the distribution companies can just pockets and producers and producers can pocket so much money is because they see that their ability to make the deal is worth about 75% of the, the whole thing. Um, so that's that is the, the like the ugly truth of how, you know, how and why certain people get into the film business and why they always seem a little sharky sometimes, yeah. a little snaky. Yeah. yeah. And why the artistic community can't, you know, can't compete in that sense, because that is that world. Mm. So with that said, that is the world of like the international film market. But now what's happening is those borders are sort of breaking down because you have all these independent filmmakers who can make their content on their own and perhaps they can sell it directly something like Amazon they can you can upload it directly onto the marketplace of Amazon and sell it without having uh, a a third party distribution company in place um because actually it's funny in the book publishing industry they talk about it they say book publishers will publish books and authors writer writers write and authors you know they write the story yeah the publishers publish this the book but nobody sells nobody markets and sells and that's the same t- true for the music industry and that's the same for the the film industry because a distribution company they're not really out there marketing and selling they're just like hey you know we'll take your film and um you know put it on all these different platforms and here's another way um this distribution companies work that you might see so i have a friend that said hey can you look at this deal with this distribution company and i said okay so there they made a film and this distribution company said look we want to take your film we're going to put it on to you know all the different um digital platforms we're going to yeah. get it as many platforms as possible and you'll get 50/50 so you know, we get 50%, you get 50% and there's no expenses or, or whatever it might be. I go, that's fine. I said, I told him, I go, the reality is you may make about like 5,000, like your film may profit about $5,000 on all these platforms. That means your 50, 50 take is uh, 250 or $2,500, they get, they'll get their 2,500 and you get your 2,500. The difference is if they make a deal for with a thousand filmmakers and each one of them nets them about twenty five hundred dollars, um, they're making about two and a half million dollars mm-hmm. where the individual filmmakers are only getting like twenty five hundred. So they're playing the the volume game like they don't care if the film's that great or anything. They just need as many um, films as possible to get on as many platforms as possible where the deal says that they get 50%. They don't do anything other. They don't make the film. They don't bleed for it. They don't raise the capital for it. They just, they just take your deal and they're going to put it on all these platforms that you could probably do on your own, that you could pay a service, a flat fee like, uh, our friends at distributor, um, can do. 
And the thing is, they're not marketing it. They just know that in general, like if it has like an interesting poster or an interesting title and it's, it's some sort of, you know, a trailer somewhat passable, um, they might get like people checking in on it and it, collectively they might only make like 5,000 per film. So most distribution companies will have this gigantic library of films. And like once in a while, one of their films takes off and is a huge hit. Yay. And it pays for all the other stuff that doesn't do well. But if you think about it, that's a business model. Yeah. You and I could start a distribution company and say, hey, all you filmmakers, like just we'll sign a contract. We're not we don't own your your film. We're just like, here's the licensing deal is to simply like agree that allow us to put your film for two years on all these platforms and um, and you get 50 percent and we get 50 percent. So then our business model, our incentive becomes that we are just looking at for as many filmmakers as possible to have an interesting trailer and an interesting poster. And we know that we could probably on average net about, you know, or uh, 2,500 bucks, but we have a thousand deals in place. That's two and a half million dollars. It's not bad for a little company. That's just like you and me. So those capital companies are popping up. And so filmmakers need to know that kind of stuff. Um, so the easiest thing for a filmmaker to do in order to create like an audience. Um, it's interesting because these distribution companies will come to filmmakers that see that they have traction. Like, Hey, your, your, your trailer is getting a lot of interest. Uh, we saw that it was featured on some article. Um, we want to get in. And it's like, they're not that, you know, you're, you're doing all the work creating the audience and bringing <laughs> this leverage and they're just trying to jump in and yeah. take a piece of it. So the thing is, is that there's a lot of different ways. The basic principles of all this stuff works is like you create something um, and then you have to get in front of people that respond to it. And if you get enough response and um, anything you create, again, it's not just film, anything you create, if you get enough response that is recorded, that is proven, you know, Facebook likes, uh, engagement, YouTube views, things like that. If that shows that it's some metric that looks somewhat real, then you have leverage. Then you can decide to do the next meeting of like, where do you want to take this? Uh, is it a short film that you want to turn into a feature? Then you find producers um, that work in that world of the film uh, market world, the international film market. See if you can't broker a deal for them to front some money to pr- you know produce this thing, to produce your you know your monster movie where they'll take you know a million and a half and they'll pay you your fee based off a five hundred thousand dollar film. Anyway, so it's like <laughs> it's um, that's one way to do it because if you create leverage, then you can um, try to set meetings and connect with the right people that level you up, Mm -hmm. that you level you up. Um, there's another track you can take, which is like, if you built it, you know, if you harness this audience yourself and this leverage yourself, then you don't give it away. It's like, you will then create a system in place that you continue to provide valuable content that has a, a a respectable, like a number monetary number placed to it that actually brings you revenue um, more revenue than you would if you sign a deal with a distribution company or whatnot. So you mentioned you have Amber Films, right? Yeah. You do commercial production for clients. So a client will come to you, and a lot of filmmakers are out there could really resonate with this because a lot of them have equipment that they they bought and they they've developed the skill set and the craftsman to understand how to to make videos and films. 
And so what they rely on is a client, some company that has a product or service that needs to be promoted via, you know, um, online video or, or, or commercials or whatever it is, film mm-hmm. content. And sometimes they'll go to an ad agency and ad agency, you know, draw, draws up like how they're going to sell their product and service. And then that ad agency will then hire a production company to, you know, make the, the piece. So the funny thing is the ad agencies do pretty much the same thing as film distribution companies in the, in the international film market, which is a big client comes to them and says, look, we have a $2 million budget. Um, we want like a commercial made or some online videos made. No problem. Uh, we'll take that, you know, our, our agency fees, $2 million and we'll take care of the rest. So they, the, the agency drafts up like designs, like what they kind of want. They design the poster, you know, design the storyboards yeah. or whatever they want. And then they hire a production company and say, look, we, our budget for this is only a hundred thousand mm. and they might be pocketing like $1.9 million, but they're only paying, they're only paying the, the production company, you or, you know, and other production companies like your company out there, a very minimal fee, a nominal fee. And then you bust your ass to, uh, get it all made. And now you have something for your reel and so on like that. And then the client's happy because they got a, you know, a product and the ad agency's happy because they got tons of cash, you know, there's just influx into the deal that they made. So the, here's what I've learned is that in the world of like the independent artists that can create anything and put it up online and sell it, um, like the reality is books, music and film is not necessarily what makes money. Um, and George Lucas is the one who can attest to this. He said that all the money's in the action figures because yes, the films made a lot of money, but he built his billion dollar empire off the, the selling of action figures because I had used this for a while on Film Trooper and basically said that film is nothing more than an advertisement for something that's worth a lot more than what the film is. And so when I say that is your film, when you go and people buy it online, we are so used to just saying, if it's not 99 cents to rent, I'm not going to check it out. Mm. If it's not free, I'm not checking it out. Basically, we have this concept that films are worth, you know, I'm not going to pay more than 19.99 for it. You know, mm. it's like, and I'm going to rent it, you know, 5.99 rentals all high. I'll wait till it's 99 cents. So like right now film is only worth like a Starbucks coffee or a latte. You know, it's like, it's a $3 price point, $4 price point. That's it. So in order to be successful selling your film to have, to have any, you know, to get your budget back, you have to sell a lot of units. You have to have a lot of volume of sales. And for the independent without any true marketing budget and uh, and exposure, it's very hard to play the game of the volume game. So you have to play the the game of the quality game or value game. And so when you have this, you wrap your head around like saying all film is nothing more than advertisement, then what am I selling? And a lot of artists – now I have to – I came up with a new terminology because I saw a lot of uh, pushback from uh, the filmmaking purists in terms of the artistic side. I said, well, don't think of it as an advertisement then. Think of it as an amplifier. Every film that you make will be an amplifier for something bigger. That's either a message, a cause, or the community, or the or this universe that you build, mm-hmm. or you know, expanded universe. And we're seeing that happen all in the studio system. Everybody's creating these universes, these cinematic universes, because they realize the film is just a catalyst. It's the initial advertisement that sells everybody into this other gigantic universe that they start selling other products and putting price tags on it. Mm. So. For you, you having Amber Films, you can do something where it says, you know what, 
I instead of waiting for a client to come to me and says, make a, you know, a film about golf clubs, you know, or like, you know, to show like this <laughs> yeah. is a video about right, that kind of stuff. You can start right on your on your own, making your own creative short films, however you want to that highlight this product in the most creative way possible. And at the end of your videos, your short films, you just have to have a call to action, a, a place where people can easily go to buy the product. And what happens is that any one of us can negotiate a deal to become essentially an affiliate salesperson. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're seeing happen in the Amazon marketplace across the world. Because um, say you and I make a film, some really creative, funny film about this golf club. And at the end of our at, at end of this little short film, we say, you know, don't wait, pick up the the latest, you know, uh, driver at this link. And somebody clicks the link, it goes to this Amazon page that sells the golf club. Well, that link is associated with our uh, affiliate code, meaning that we can sign up for a free affiliate membership with Amazon. And simply, you know, anytime anybody clicks that link and they do any type of shopping within a set amount of hours. Uh, because we drove people to Amazon to go buy this golf club, mm -hmm. um, we can make anywhere you know from like three percent commission to like eight to ten percent commission. And so, if the you can imagine if the video went viral because it's hilarious or whatever like that, then there's a good chance that the conversion rate for that product we're selling uh, can net us you know a pretty good chunk of change. And so, to me, that is sort of the new way that filmmakers can right now take control of their creative destiny and their financial uh, return. Um, for instance, on Facebook, I was noticing that there was this just a, um, a video of these two brothers doing a lightsaber duel. You know, it was this cool, fun video, drone flying over them. They did this lights, the special effects lightsabers, and then the, the the link was like, "This looks so much fun. Make sure to grab your own." And there's a link. You click on it. It takes you to this not an Amazon page, but it was like this, like this, these knockoff lightsabers they were selling for like 20 bucks, you wow. know? And, but the thing is they didn't even own the video. I found out the video was created by these YouTubers, um, that they, this, this company had hijacked their video. They didn't have to even spend money to mm -hmm. like produce a video. They just stole it from YouTube, put it up on Facebook and just had this Facebook page that drove people to buy knockoff lightsabers, and you probably made a you probably made a pretty penny without doing lifting you know anything. So the yeah. whole point is, filmmakers can take control of their destiny that way. Yeah, and um, so that gets you thinking, like, well, what kind of products sell? Well, we're on YouTube. We're, we we're filmmakers. We enjoy. Um, if you look, you know, Ryan Conley of film riot, a lot of those videos, uh, he ends like, you know, he does gear review yeah. and there's links to Amazon to buy the gear. Uh, there's other people that, um, do nothing but like gear review. And then they have links in the YouTube videos of where to buy the gear. And they're probably, you know, I had know some people that do that and they're, they make not bad money actually, mm -hmm. you know? Um, Film Trooper doesn't focus on any of that. I don't have gear reviews, anything like that. I focus on the marketing distribution. So that's um, the only thing I really sell is the book. Um, and that goes, but the idea is that I don't feel like it's a sellout because I definitely feel like it's an extension of the education that I'm exploring. There's definitely a gap in the market though for what you're doing, and that's what you know I like about um, the Film Trooper because 
you can easily get bit and easily get caught out. And not only that, you know, if you go onto YouTube, you can pretty much learn anything now, you know, especially with Mm -hmm. filmmaking. Like I didn't go to film school. I went to college. I did business studies and IT because at the time making a movie seemed impossible. It just seemed so distant, like literally. But now, you know, literally the tools are, uh, are in your pocket, but... You know, I learned from watching DVDs, watching, um, listening to film commentaries, and um, there is a lack of what you're doing. This film trooper evolved into something else from what it started as. It's always, I always wanted to be a platform for exploration and curation of this content. Um, to be, you know, this is probably the first interview I've ever done where it's full transparency. Like, I don't make a lot of money from Film Trooper. Like I said, and like I'm even though I, I explore these things like I have I haven't hit the jackpot like being rich from it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I have to supplement my income as an actor and then doing some, um, you know, um, video and film photography work. Um, but what I've learned, what I've seen is like uh, I made a little bit of money selling my film online. I didn't lose my shirt because I went into it making sure that it was made for so low. Mm-hmm. Um, but I learned a lot from it and I learned a little bit more when I wrote the book and so for a self-published book i actually you know continue to make money from it but not like it's not like i can you know retire from it because you know it's not like harry potter you know (laughs) it's like um but what i learned from it was the knowledge and so i'm actually in this transition because it's like um i enjoy making film content or creative content be it writing something or filming something and then i'm i've been in this journey of trying to figure out well okay if film is nothing more than an amplifier or an advertisement for something more expensive or something you know worth more than the actual film content what is it going to mean for me in the future and so um, I'm, I just recently got my real estate license here in uh, Portland, Oregon. And I did that because when I was working on this TV show, um, uh, as a day player up here in Oregon, this character actor has been in everything you can imagine, like Iron Man, American Sniper, Central Intelligence. He was, you know, working alongside me and he was mm-hmm. talking about, oh no, no, my full-time job is like a, a real estate agent. And the more actors I found, I begin to find you know, we were talking about it because I said that a lot of people up here, it's very hard to find somebody who can make a full-time living as an actor. They're supplementing with like other income, either being mm-hmm. a model or something like that, or an, like a Uber driver, a taxi driver, or anything like that. What I discovered is the ones that I really started to hone in on um, were real estate agents. And I thought, what an interesting skill. And I've been told this before, like I should go into the real estate industry. But I was like, well, how do I connect all this stuff? Well, the interesting thing is, well, I'm producing an original series called Around the Neighborhood with Scott McMahon. So I just focus on uh, local neighborhoods. And we're about to launch the the pilot episode. And the difference is my call to action will be I, I, do, I share a story. That's interesting to the community. But at the end of it, the call to action is simply if you want to learn more, if you're looking to buy or sell your home, here's some free giveaways. So now they enter the the film content is like my advertisement to sell something of greater value, which would right. be my real estate services. The difference is my real estate services could be any worth anywhere from five to ten, fifteen thousand dollars per deal. Suddenly now I can start creating um, uh, an original web series to drive traffic to my real estate services, and then you know now I can create an ecosystem that works well. And so that is what I'm going to be sharing in the in the future with Film Trooper. 
and to say, I've created this original series. This is how I'm applying Facebook marketing and other advertisements. And this is the conversion. This is how, you know, how many people I've got into that I've made as clients in my real estate business. And the whole point is you just have to decide what is it, the, the product or service that you're offering that will give you sort of um, a greater revenue a potential. Like mm-hmm. I said, I kind of reached my max, like Film Trooper was like, here's Film Trooper with a bunch of free stuff. Here's all these free podcast episodes and articles, and and uh, now we have a free membership portal, a members portal that has content like you know just a lot of like you know teachable content mm-hmm. that's been collected for people. But the only thing I was really selling was a book, and the book was not you know I'm selling at like a a ten dollar or twenty five dollar price point, versus like the same principles of building an audience, marketing to them, you know, and in offering value. And that's why I don't feel like I'm, I'm selling out because it's like, I really am sharing you with you as much as possible. Even this podcast interview, I'm like, I'm telling you as much as I know yeah. and l- l- go for it, do what you need to do. I just decided to take what I've learned and apply these skill sets because I can still be, I, it's funny as an actor, over the years, I've been a spokesperson for credit cards, for like uh, beverage companies, like all these different things. I'm like, wait a minute. I only get paid a small minimal fee. Yeah. And that's it. Because what if I actually own the the business? So now I can, I'm doing the same thing I've done over the years up here, selling other people's products. But now with my web series, it's, it's going to be pretty much exclusive just to Facebook because Facebook is investing big time in video. Yeah. And so I'm like, it's going to be it's just an original online series for Facebook that's targeted to people in the neighborhoods. And it's just me, my acting skills and my background to be a spokesperson. But now I'm a spokesperson of my own stuff. And, and that's and I'm excited to share how that turns out because I've always heard about entrepreneurs. It's like, it's never quite their first business that takes off. It's always like their third or fourth iteration of something they were trying that takes off. So I'm hoping this will take off and I can share the, the, the stories and, and the war stories of what works and what doesn't work back to the film trooper platform and the film trooper audience. Now that allows me once I, cause I kind of needed to, uh, readjust sort of my, my base, I guess, um, a career in terms of salary, mm-hmm. you know, so that that way, if I have more revenue that, that starts coming in, um, I'm going to then apply it to, um, my own. Then when I make my narrative story, it's, it can come from a place of not being desperate. It's just a place of complete joy. And I can still apply all these same business and marketing strategies to it, but not knowing that it may not, you know, um, you know, break the bank or it's not going to make me super rich. It's just simply, I can just do it because I want to do it. Like, so yeah. there's a story that I want to tell, but I know there's a, some very simple marketing and, uh, sales, uh, principles and, and structures you can put in place. That'll make sure that at least whatever money I put into it, I'm able to, you know, make back. Yeah. And so a lot, and honestly, a lot of the sales of the book that I made is that's I, instead of doing a crowdfunding where, you know, it's like, here's 30 days, give me all your money. I'm doing everything <laughs> I can. I give you like T-shirts and stickers and a signed script or whatever it is. I opted to say, I'm going to take the long tail approach, the, the, tur- the, the tortoise and the hare. So the tortoise says, I'm writing a book. And over the course of a year and a half, whatever I make from that will go is that's my version of the crowdfunding. And so now I have a, 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 some money that I can make the next film with. And so that's uh, that's that's the approach I took. If people want to catch up with you and contact you, the best place is to get you on the Film Trooper website. 
Yep, just filmtrooper.com. There's tons of free things to sign up for. Um, and then from there, you can contact me directly. So I, I recommend everybody checking out filmtrooper.com and, and, and let me know if, um, you know, if, if any of this stuff has been helpful. <laughs> Scott, I really appreciate your time and thanks for joining us today. Hey, Simon, will do. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you.